0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Good morning, everyone. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, the treasure principle we're giving them, uh, or uh, selling them be- below cost for $5. Uh, if you can't afford $5, just let us know. We'll give it to you. Um, and uh, so you can find those outside uh, after the service. It's a great book. I'll mention it again in a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's so great to see you guys uh, on this beautiful day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. By the way, if you don't know where 2 Corinthians is, you may find it easiest through the table of contents. Um, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we gather today to celebrate your grace, your grace in our lives. You've sent your Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. You've done everything needed to reconcile us to yourself, not counting our sins against us. You've made us a new creation, The old has gone. The new has come. You've brought us into your family so we're your children, but also co-heirs with Christ. And you've set our hope not in perishable things, such as silver or gold, but in Jesus Christ who can't die, which means we can't die, but will live eternally. So, Father, I pray that you would remind us of this grace. You would bathe us in this manifold grace. You would rework us from within through this grace. We love you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. The word of the Lord. I have a longer introduction today, so bear with me. Today we begin a new series entitled Overflow from Him through us to all. It's a five-part study in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. These two chapters come in the middle of the letter, but they form a discrete unit on giving and generosity. Now, why learn about giving and generosity? It's not because we have a big budget deficit, nor is it because we have a big building campaign that we're going into. Rather, we're talking about this because Because in the life of the church, giving is as important as income is to your family. Your family doesn't exist so that it can have income. But without income, your family can't thrive. There are many churches, older churches in decline, younger startup churches that don't make it. They have to close their doors because the giving isn't there But as important as giving is, our giving must come from the heart and be informed by sound theological gospel-informed principles. And that's just as important for you as the givers as it is for us, the leaders, who must store those gifts and lead the congregation into more joyful, generous giving. Now, you've known for the last five years that I have not shied away from teaching you from any part of scripture, however unpopular the topic might be. I know we're not always going to get that right, but we must always begin from the assumption that all of Scripture is God's word, word rather and that we will not be teaching the whole counsel of God if we... Uh shy away from points of doctrine or practice that our culture might find irrelevant or even repugnant. And the reality is that Jesus talked about money a lot. He talked about it more than he did about heaven and hell combined, which is saying a lot, given that his whole project was to get us to live for heaven, for the new world of the new age. So as a pastor, I will not be being faithful to God if I don't teach on finances. But I also know that there are many wrong ways to talk about, teach about, and ask for money. Now, I've never made a specific ask for money following one of my sermons. In other words, I've never used the power of the word of God or of rhetoric to get you all emotionally charged up and then ask you to open your wallets. Now that it's not Now that it's wrong to do that, there are, for example, a number of fundraisers, Christian and otherwise, that gather people precisely for that purpose. You know, and you know there's an expectation at the end of the night you're going to give. For example, Crew, many of uh, the leaders for Crew Detroit are here in our campus, and they have a fundraiser later this month. And uh, so I'm, ex- you know, I'm expecting to attend and to give because I believe in reaching college students with the gospel. And so if at the end of the night they uh, asked me to give and I went like, how dare you, they would be justified in saying to me, the invitation says it's a fundraiser, John. Right? It'd be like going to a movie theater and getting upset when they show you a movie right? And so not only that, you know, I could envision a time when we as a church have to make a special appeal for a specific giving project. The campus at Romeo just finished doing that, or actually they're still doing that for their building expansion. So it is legitimate for us to study the scriptures on giving, and then to ask the congregation to pray about pledges of what you will give. But the reason I don't use... The power of the word or of rhetoric to get you emotionally charged and then ask you to open your wallets is a deeper one, and that is compulsion. Compulsion. The human mind is very weak, and it's very easily manipulated by words. Why do you think people watch infomercials and end up buying knives they don't need at three in the morning? Right, Because we're very weak, very easily persuaded about things that mm, maybe we should or should not do. Well, it's the same reason that I don't put out a heavy challenge at the end of the sermons for people to raise their hand or come forward to accept Christ. I know some people disagree with me about this, and that's okay. But I know it's very easy for people to respond to a human appeal, which doesn't last, than to respond to its divine summons that lasts forever. Now, don't get me wrong, I totally believe that God is powerfully at work as his word is preached. I know many of you have become Christians right here under the preaching of God's word, and we praise God for that. So I fully know that believers and unbelievers who approach this very hour with great faith will find the spirit of God working within them and transforming them. And they'll come back the next week and the next after that and the next after that for more. And that transformation will be from the heart and it will stick. So if you find yourself coming to true faith, you will give your life to Jesus and you will be baptized. And you will never go back to your old life, but rather will begin living as a member of God's family. And we love watching different ones of you for whom that's the case. But that's, that's similar to how I also approach the topic of money. I don't need to get you all wound up to give. Listen, if the gospel is radically transforming you, which is the only thing the gospel does, then you will find yourself being more and more and more generous. It's the only result possible. You can't say that the gospel has deeply affected you and remain stingy or greedy it will not work. In fact, we're going to see one thing today is that grace received is grace given. We're going to see that today. Grace received is grace given. The, the, the grace of God overflowing from God into our lives will, by its very nature, overflow out of our lives to others. That's why the title of the series is Overflow from Him through us to all. Now, What's happened in our church family in the last five years as it relates to giving is nothing short of amazing. People oftentimes ask me about this, and I can't really explain it except to say that God's grace has been at work. As it relates to giving in the last five years, uh, our giving has tripled. Now, to put that in perspective, let's talk about your job. If year one of your job, you made $60,000, And then year five of your job, you made $180,000. You'd be pretty pumped. (laughs) Right? That's what's happened in our church family as it relates to giving. In 2016, we gave about $600,000 to our gospel mission. Year five, we've given $1.8 million uh, as of the end of April to our gospel mission. Now, in that same time, yes, okay, we can applaud. Yes, the pray. Yeah, hey, praise God. I was going to have you do that later on, but you guys are eager. But, you know, praise God. Maybe we'll do it again. But in that same time period, uh, the attendance in our congregation has about doubled. And usually, when attendance grows in a church, the giving lags a bit because, you know, because people are coming in they they're learning they may not fully trust the church whatever it may be so it kind of takes a little while to catch up but that's not what's happened here while our attendance has doubled our giving has tripled again i can't explain that other than god's grace at work and i do praise him for that now let me tell you why i'm sharing this with you i'm sharing this with you because i want you to be encouraged i want you to be so encouraged as it relates to this area of giving It's well known that parents care about their children. And when parents care about their children, they also care about their education. And when they're able, when they have the means, these parents volunteer intensely and they raise money for their kids' education through what's known as PTOs, parent-teacher organizations. In 2010, these PTOs throughout the country raised over $425 million for for kids' education. That money goes toward better art programs, better science programs, better technology, just better education on the whole. Why? Because the parents care about their kids, and they want their education to be the best. Well, likewise, when the people of the church give their resources to this church— And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about you pouring into other people. I'm talking about your skills, your abilities, your gospel truth that has transformed you. You just want that to overflow. It's what we looked at a couple of weeks ago in the parable of the talents, wanting to multiply everything that God's given us for the expansion and the name of the renown of Christ's name. What happens? The church thrives. It's what happens, and that's what's been happening here in the last few years, and it's been humbling and inspiring to watch so i want you to be encouraged but i also want you to give god thanks for his grace i like not being able to explain what's happened here as it relates to giving rather i like us focusing on what god asks us to do preach the gospel and build the church and leave the results to him they've always been in his hands anyway we need to thank him. We need to thank him constantly for the fact that he has seen fit to establish a strong gospel presence for his name in Royal Oak at this time. He didn't have to do it now. There are many places and cities throughout the world in our country that don't have a strong presence for the gospel. So we praise him for it and we just obey him. We keep doing what he calls us to do and remain faithful to him. Now, let me say one last thing by way of introduction. I told you it would be a longer one. Short points, though. Short points. My hope for this series is that your joy in giving will increase. Your joy. That it will just skyrocket. Okay, so that every time you give, whether to the church or to another nonprofit you believe in, or to your brother and sister in need, or wherever you give, that you would do it from joy. Joy. Not from duty, not from guilt, not reluctantly, not hoping you didn't have to, but joy because that's how God gives to us. As a matter of fact, if you can't not give from joy, don't give. Why? You're not doing anyone a favor. Because it's all about the heart, as we're going to see. So do it from joy. And that's why I commend to you this book, The Treasure Principle. Pick it up outside, $5 today, and study it. We are strongly encouraging all of our groups to go through this. So group leaders, take a pause if you need to from what you're doing right now and lead your group through this. It's so rich. It will really bless you. But if your group leader won't do it, don't hold it against them but I still encourage you to go through it on your own or with your family. That little book is a short little read, but it has the potential of changing how we view money, which oftentimes is so stingy and fearful. So I'm hoping that we approach this series with a posture to learn. Because while many of you in the last few years have grown in generosity, many of you have not. Now, there are all kinds of statistics that I could give you, but I'm just going to give you one data point point for you to ponder. The top 20 givers, or rather, rather, the top 20% of givers in the congregation give about 74% of our budget need. Or putting that another way, if our church had 100 people, 20 people are giving 74% of what we need. And so I wonder what's happening with the other 80. I wonder what's happened in the heart of the 20 that hasn't happened in the heart of the 80. So let's get into the text. Grace received is grace given. First, grace overflows regardless of circumstances. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1, Paul says, We want you to know, brothers... How about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia? For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The The creator of the show, The Chosen, which I know many of you have watched, Dallas Jenkins, said this to us recently on a Zoom call. He said, God does impossible math. It's a great statement. He had in mind Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish. But I think it applies also to what we see in these verses. The churches of Macedonia refers to churches like uh, Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi. These were churches that were about 180 plus miles north of Corinth, churches that had a very strong gospel partnership with Paul. Well, What was happening was that the the churches in Macedonia had entered with Paul into this giving campaign to take it to the church in Judea. The Jerusalem church. The church where it all started a number of years back. The church in Jerusalem had gone through much persecution from their fellow Jews... Because of the name of Jesus, and it was very important to Paul that the Gentile churches that he was involved with, churches that owed their salvation to the Jerusalem church from a human perspective, contribute to the needs of the brothers and sisters there in Jerusalem. Well, Macedonia was all in, but Corinth was kind of all in. They had been excited about it in some, time, some months before, but now they were lagging. They were lagging in enthusiasm, and so Paul wants to help them complete the gift, and so he uses chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians to help them finish. How does he do that? By helping them see the grace of God at work in their brothers and sisters in Macedonia. So he says in the first verse, he says, we want you to know, you in Corinth, we want you to know... About the grace of God that has been given to the churches in Macedonia. And then, verse 2, is where the impossible math comes in. Because here he says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So here's the, the impossible math that I was talking about. In Macedonia, they had a severe test of affliction... Plus, they had an abundance of joy, plus extreme poverty, and what that resulted in was a wealth of generosity. Now, you look at that, and you're like, hey, these elements, if you're a math teacher and so, you're like, those elements don't add up, right? Right. God does impossible math. Now, if my children, after they failed a math test, came to me and said, well, dad, you said God does impossible math, I would say, yeah, that's God, okay? How about if you focus on doing simple math, okay? How about that? But as we look at this, it doesn't add up. From a natural perspective, affliction plus poverty and joy does not equate or add up to a wealth of generosity, which is why Paul directs their attention to God. He says, no, this is God. Verse one is how he starts. We want you to know about the grace of God at work in the churches in Macedonia, for example, the church, the church in Thessalonica, which is part of the Macedonian region, had gone through a severe trial because of their faith. Listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. He's talking to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, in Thessalonica. He says to them, for you brothers, Christians in Macedonia, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffer the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Do you see what Paul is saying? What Paul is saying is the church in Jerusalem, we know this from reading Acts, went through much persecution because of the name of Christ by the hands of their fellow Jews. And so now Paul is saying, well, now you also in Thessalonica, when you converted, you who are Gentiles, when you converted to Christ, you also went through persecution from your fellow Gentile countrymen. So what he's saying is that these two churches, Thessalonica and Jerusalem, even though they're 800 miles apart from each other, they share in this bond of suffering for the faith. And in suffering for the faith, they have extreme poverty. It could be that their poverty came as a result of their faith, or at the very least, their their poverty was exacerbated because of the faith. Because they had persecution and they had, uh, you know, uh, just fewer uh, business opportunities and things like that uh, opened up to them because of the name of Christ. But in any event, the result of that test, of that trial, of that poverty, and even little means he says they have, was a wealth of generosity, a wealth of generosity. They overflowed with just wanting to give. Now here's the thing, you guys. As Christians, God does not remove our trials. You know this firsthand. Many times our Christian faith adds to our trials. But what God does in trial is He opens our heart, and as it relates to this very topic, He even opens our wallet so that we're able to defy our natural and cultural impulses. I don't think it's possible, if you bear the name of Christ, to read this and not be convicted. Because if we're honest about it, our math oftentimes works very differently. It just works very differently. Instead of a severe trial, we have great comfort. Instead of abundant joy, we have perpetual reluctance. Instead of extreme poverty, we have substantial means. And the result oftentimes is just a few dollars and cents. So this is the math that we tend to live by. We in the 21st century in the richest country that the world has ever known, our math tends to work more like, hey, I'm, I'm all about comfort, and I'm kind of perpetually reluctant to give. I've thought about it so many times, John, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it. And we can have substantial means, not only compared to people who live in our country, but definitely the rest of the world. But the result so often is not a wealth of generosity, a few dollars and cents. Listen, there are many of you who give less than $200 a year to our gospel mission. And I just want you to think about that. This is all between you and God. I'll never know. No one will ever know. It's just you and God. Now, when I first became a Christian, I did not grow up in the church, and so when I first became a Christian, they taught me that in keeping with how the people of God in the Old Testament gave to God, that when I made money, because I wasn't working yet, you know, I was 18 years old, but I was going to get a little job, and so they're like, "Hey, when you start making money, you know, take the first portion of that, and set it aside and give it to God before your rent, before your Metro card for the train, you know, I didn't have a car, you know, and um, for all these different things, and uh, and so that's what I did, and I was so grateful that they taught me to do that as I was even visually as I was making my little budget you know whatever sheet I had you know I just put okay for God first and then rent and then the other things but many of you give less than $200 a year not a month a year to our gospel mission which means that just about every other category in your budget is more important than the church And if that's you, and you believe that the Bible is the word of God, you need to do business with 2 Corinthians 8.2. If the grace of God has not produced in you a wealth of generosity, you need to do business with God. Have Have you truly received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because grace received is grace given. Number two. Grace overflows beyond its limitations. Before we get into this point, by the way, if you are visiting with us for the first time and you never go to church because you're like all they talk about in church is money, you would be, okay, you would be okay right for the next five weeks, you know, because that's what we're going to be talking about. So you may want to come back on May 16th, you know, we'll be done with this. No, but seriously, this is a conversation for those of us who call this their church home or for Christians. Because maybe you're visiting, but you say, Hey, I'm a Christian. Everything we're talking about applies to you, whatever your church may be. Okay. Number two, grace overflows beyond its limitations. Verse three, Paul goes on, (laughs) This just gets crazy. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is startling. Just about every word in these two verses is like crazy. Paul says that the Macedonians gave according to their means. He said actually, he couldn't erase it. You know, it wasn't like computers. He had like papyrus. And he's like, he can't erase. He just keeps going. Actually, he says, as I can testify, beyond their means, of their own accord. And then he says, they actually begged us. They begged us to let them be a part of this favor, of taking part of the relief for the saints. They call it a favor. The actual word there is grace, charis. Uh, But that's what they call it. Now, just think about how upside down that is. Usually when we talk about a favor as it relates to money, it's us asking someone for a favor to give us money. It's like, hey, would you do me a favor? Would you just lend me a few hundred dollars? I'll pay you back. That's not what they're doing. They're doing the opposite. They're saying, would you please do us the favor of giving... To this church that we may never meet. I mean, they're like 800 miles away. We may never meet them, but we won't. Please, you know, we, they beg them. Just think about that. They earnestly beg them to let them give. Think about this. Now, I'm going to give you a scenario that is pretty unusual, okay? Say it with me. Okay, good. So there's, so here's the, the scenario, okay? There's about over 1,000 people that call this their church home. And in our collections... For the upkeep and all of the things that it takes to do the church, if we said to you, hey, listen, we, we need the church to be supported, but we can only take contributions from 200 of you. I know this is unrealistic, but just go with it, okay? Maybe our online system would crash after 200 contributions. Maybe we have a lazy accountant that doesn't want to count past 200 contributions. Whatever it may be, we have to come to you and say, hey, listen, we can only take collections from 200 of you. And your response was, please, please, John, you guys, uh, let our family be one of the 200. We're, we're begging you. We're begging you. Just let us. I know it's only 200. I know there's many more. Would you please allow us the favor of being part of taking care of the church? Okay. That scenario is very unrealistic, but so is the response. Right? Because if that really happened, I think most likely we'd be more like, "Oh, oh, oh that's a relief! Whew, wow! I, 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 I wanted to give, really, but can't. Maybe next time." But you see, the people from Macedonia begged. They're begging to be allowed. I don't know what all the circumstances were. I don't know if when Paul went there and he saw how hit up they were, how poor they were, he was like, you guys don't have to worry about this. God's going to provide from somewhere else. Or maybe he didn't even mention it to them. Somehow they learned about what they were doing for the church in Jerusalem. And they come to Paul and they're like, Paul, brother, we need to be a part of this. We are asking you. We're begging you to let us give toward our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And as Paul gave them rebuttals because they were so poor and all of that, they were like, Paul, we're serious about this. But as he recounts it, as he recalls it, in verses 3 and 4, he's like, they gave of their own accord, according to their means and beyond, beyond their means, begging us earnestly for this favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You guys, a generous person can't be stopped. A generous person can't be stopped. When times are ripe, they give a ton. When times are lean, they give beyond their means. I mean, how convicting is this? Because I know that so many of us believe this thing. I know I have, but I hear it often. So many of us believe this lie. Here's how it goes. We believe, man, when I have a lot I'm going to give a lot. People are going to be blown away how much I give when God gives me a lot. As if generosity had anything to do with what we have. Listen, generosity has nothing to do with what we have. It has everything to do with God's grace coming to us and reworking us from within so that we're open-handed with all that we have and all that we are. That's it. You can't stop a generous person. And man, I have, seen, I have seen some of the poorest people in the world, here and in other countries, where they have nothing. But man, they just give and give and give with no care to themselves. It is beautiful and it is rare. So what is God saying to you? Because this is between you and God. What is God saying to you as he holds up to you the mirror? of your brothers and sisters from the churches in Macedonia from 2,000 years ago. Finally, grace overflows as giving of yourself. In verse 5, Paul says, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see, for Paul, giving had nothing to do with philanthropy. Paul says that the Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord. What does that mean? It means that their earnestness to give was rooted in their devotion to Jesus. Their worship of Jesus is what freed them up to want to build the church by their giving. So he says that they gave, but he says he wants to redirect it to where it really starts and where it belongs. He says they gave themselves first to the Lord... And then by the will of God, I love this connection he makes. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. To us in this project that we're doing. That's a very important connection because we often fail to make it. But do you see what the true spirituality did in the Macedonians? It allowed them to see this collection for Judea as something that God was doing. It allowed them to see when they heard about it, they were able to go, God's in this. And even more than that, God wants us to be a part of it. That's what it did. They're giving themselves to God, but then they knew that it had had teeth their devotion to God, it wasn't just this thing in their minds, because so often for us, we fail to make these connections, that our devotion to Christ is invariably going to connect us to people, to initiatives, to ministries, to needs that Jesus is sending us to, always, but we can so easily hide behind that phrase, that statement that has become almost a God in our culture, even within the Christian church, and it's this, my relationship with God is private. No, it's not. It's always personal, but never private. Your walk with God will inevitably tie you to his purposes for the church, local and global. It always will. Now in verse 6, finally Paul begins to shift from talking about the Macedonians to talking about the Corinthians. And he says, in Verse 6, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Okay, so when Paul sees that, you know, Paul went to many different places. He was in many different churches. There's different conditions in the churches. When he sees that in Macedonia, they are full of faith and joy about this collection for Judea, man, it, gets, it gives them impetus to send Titus to Corinth to help them finish the same kind of gift. It's kind of like when in my house... One of my children wants us to order takeout. So they start talking to the others, and they start getting votes, and they form a coalition. And they bring it to us, and they say, hey, you guys, it appears that all of us want to order Chinese. Would you guys want in? (laughs) And I'm like, sure, who's paying, you know? But that's what's happening with Paul here. Paul just gets pumped. He's excited, like, man, Macedonia's all in. Titus, you got to go to Corinth. We need to help them because they were excited about this a few months back, but they're lagging now. Go and help them finish. But here's one last thing I want to say. At the end of verse 6, Paul says that Titus should go and help complete among them this act of what? Grace. Grace. In these six verses, Paul has brought up grace three times. In verse 1, 4, And six, and four, it was translated as favor, but it's the same word, cares, grace. He brings it up 10 times in these two chapters. We're going to see it another seven times. It's what's fueling this whole discussion. And while we're counting words, let me tell you one word that Paul does not mention in these two chapters. What do you think it is? Money. Money. He never mentions money. Now think about this with me. The two chapters are all about money. He's sending Titus to Corinth so he can help them finish this gift of money. But he doesn't bring up the word money once. Why? Because it's not about money. It's not about money. It never is. It's about the grace of God overflowing from us. And spilling over to so many. You see what Paul is doing? This is so revolutionary. And I don't know, I'm sure that many of us have never made this connection. The way that Paul frames theologically, the whole act of giving for us is grace. We're going to see more about this in coming weeks. But for Paul, the grace of God in the salvation that Jesus has accomplished for us should rework us from within in such a way that it overflows into a wealth of generosity. That's what he's after. God's grace in sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. God's grace in doing everything he had to do to reconcile us to himself, not counting our sins against us. God's grace in making us a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God's grace... In bringing us into His family, so that we're His children forever, co-heirs with Christ. God's grace in setting our hope not in perishable things such as silver or gold, but in Jesus Christ who cannot die. Which means we can die. That grace, Paul is saying. If it truly has landed on our heart, it's not just our parents believe or something that we've thought, yeah, this would be something that I should give a little bit of my life too. No, if it's really come and changed us forever, that grace is going to rework us so that the outcome is a wealth of generosity. Grace received, you guys, is grace given. Listen, grace is invisible, but giving is not. It's one of the most powerful tools in us that God uses for the conversion of the nations. Because as people see us just overflow with giving, and I'm not just talking about money. Yes, money, but your time, your person, your everything, is just. you're just open. Your life is for all. Your life is for God to move through you. And you've seen the effect that this has on people. Have you ever just shower someone with blessings, with things they need, with an amazing whatever it is? just because you care about them. Even, even not in Christian contexts, like some of those home makeover shows or whatever. You've seen this when they take like a really impoverished family and they tell you a story about the kids that can't go to school or can't have this or that. And then they came in and they changed their rooms and they made it this beautiful thing. And then they always do the reveal, right? But the face, the faces on the people, the recipients of that grace, They just just melted. They always melted. Why? Because it's a tangible, you guys, it's a tangible way of seeing the goodness of God. That's what it does. Someone once said, giving is a visible sign of an invisible grace. And you have that power. You have that power. Because you're a person that God has Fitted with all kinds of resources. And they're not for you. They're for you to use for the glory of God. If grace has transformed us, then our lives will look more and more like impossible math. Severe affliction plus abundance of joy plus extreme poverty will result in a wealth of generosity. Let me leave you with this. How would you know that someone you know has received a million dollars? How would you know that? Well, you'd begin to see changes in their lives, right? Maybe they'd upgrade their car first. Maybe they'd upgrade their house. Maybe there's investments they start making and talking about. They're excited about this. Maybe there are organizations they believe in and they get involved and they start giving to them. But you see, it's not just that their bank balance that no one can really see would change. No, that million dollars would begin to overflow into the rest of their lives. And you would see it. That's how you know they received it. Well, so here's the question for us. How do you know that you've received the grace of God in Jesus Christ? And the answer that Paul gives us from this text is that the grace of God in Jesus Christ will overflow in a wealth of generosity. So as you look at how generous you are toward our gospel mission and toward the people in need in your life, you need to ask yourself, is it obvious that I've received the grace of God in Jesus Christ? Because grace received is grace given. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this word. Thank you, dear God, that your grace has come into our lives. His name is Jesus. Thank you that you gave him to us, you sent him to us. So that you would not have to count our sins against us. So we could be reconciled to you, God. Members of your family. New creations. Thank you that our hope is not in the things of this world which perish. But in Jesus Christ, who cannot die again, ever. Which means all of us who are in him will not die. Thank you. Thank you for that grace. Father, I pray. That for each one of us, the result of that grace landing in our hearts and exploding from us would be a wealth of generosity. Teach us, God. Get us there. Let us not have a view of money that is stingy and fearful. Make us open-handed. And make us joyful in giving because that is how you give to us with great joy. We love you. We worship you. We celebrate your grace always. For all eternity, we will celebrate your grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let us stand up and sing. At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's word has for us today.